Open your Bibles up to Galatians chapter 4 as we continue in our series, No Other Gospel. And what, what you'll see today and what you'll see if you were to read through the entire book of Galatians in one fell swoop, what you'll see is that Paul keeps emphasizing the, the need and the necessity to stay focused on the gospel. So I was in a conversation one time with uh, someone who had just started going to college. They had just entered into college and they were talking with someone else about looking for churches, trying to find a church where they would attend in college. And the other person in the conversation was asking them, you know, what kind of churches have you visited? Are they good churches? Do they have solid teaching and all these things? Uh, good questions to ask. You know, good, do they have good discipleship, good Sunday schools, all these kind of questions. And then I asked the question, do this one church he was specifically talking about, I said, do they preach the gospel? And, you know, that for me, that's one of the most important questions. Bible, be Bible-believing, obviously, you want them to believe the whole Bible, and gospel preaching, that they're going to preach the gospel to you and apply the gospel to you. So I asked that question, do they preach the gospel? Are they a gospel-preaching church? And the other person in the room who was part of this conversation said, well, he doesn't need to hear the gospel. He already believes the gospel. He needs a church that's going to teach him how to live like a Christian and, and, and how, to, how to grow as a believer. And I say that because that, that really is kind of a typical um, Christian, evangelical, I might even say American and Southern assumption. Is that the gospel, and, and let me just say, for me, this was my kind of assumption growing up as a child and as a teenager, is that the gospel was for the non-believer. It was for the person who was not saved to come to saving faith. They needed the gospel. They needed to hear the preaching of the cross. They needed to hear that their sins could be forgiven. And then they needed to believe the gospel. So for me, the gospel was for the unbeliever. But the believer just needed to do the best they could now that they believed the gospel. And also, in the same kind of in the same breath, I believe that repentance was something that unbelievers did when they came to saving faith. But it wasn't this kind of ongoing pattern for the believer. And so what I want you to see this morning and really every Sunday morning is that the gospel is not just for the unbeliever. But for the believer, it's what keeps us focused on Christ. It's what keeps us motivated, really, to walk in obedience and faith. But the gospel also is what reminds us we're sinners, but as sinners, we're forgiven sinners. Which invites us to come back in repentance every time we see that we have fallen, every time we see that we have broken God's law, that we have falling back into patterns of unbelief or sin, that we can come back acknowledging, Lord, I did it again. I sinned. But thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross. And thank you that as I trust in this good news, my sins are forgiven, and you've promised to give me the power of the Holy Spirit to look to the cross daily, to put away my sins daily, and to believe my sins are forgiven daily. And so what we're not saying, don't hear me say this, that you have to continue in repentance of faith 
to continue being forgiven. No, you're forgiven. If you're in Christ, all of your sins are forgiven. Even the ones you haven't committed yet. Okay? That's good news. But what we're saying is we need to be reminded of that constantly. Because the way we sometimes live is as if we don't really believe that we're forgiven and we're accepted by God. We have to justify our standing with God and with one another instead of being justified in the gospel. And so this morning, Paul is going to give us kind of a long explanation of what this means to continue walking in faith in the gospel, to continue to believe the gospel as a believer. And so if we have your Bible, look at Galatians chapter 4. And I'm going to start in verse 8, and I'm going to read through the end of chapter 4. It says this, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers and sisters, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically or symbolically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? 
Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let's pray again. Father, as we come to this text, give us your Holy Spirit for understanding. Help me to communicate clearly what is here, and that we would walk away with joy because of our salvation and because you are at work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, to, just to re-emphasize and to re-summarize, I want you to be able to walk away this morning remembering and applying the gospel in everyday life. Remember and apply the gospel in everyday life. And so what I want to break this down to into is just two points. Um, I say just two points because most of y'all know two points doesn't make bit of a difference, right? Um, but two points. The first is gospel in life, how the gospel applies to your everyday life. And then the second, because Paul gets into it, is the gospel in ministry. How does the gospel apply to ministry? And that's going to apply to you as well as to me, specifically as a pastor, and just generally to be under a ministry that is about the gospel. So the gospel in life, the gospel in ministry, those are the two things we're going to look at this morning. And so keep, keep this chapter open because we're going to refer to it back and forth a good bit. First of all, what we see through verses 8 through 11 is that Paul is coming back to the Galatians. And if you've been here for this series, you saw at the beginning of this book his passion, but also his anger. He was really angry that they had, they had moved away from the truth of the gospel. He said, you have added to the gospel and you're believing and preaching another gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Any gospel that claims to be the gospel that is not the gospel I came and preached to you, Paul said, is not the gospel, and that person should be accursed. You remember that? Why well, that was strong language from Paul, right? So Paul, you know, he's writing this letter with this passion, with this anger, righteous anger, we could say, with some disappointment and sadness. And so now what he's saying in verses 8 through 11 is he's just continuing that theme, saying, why are you wanting to go back to the way things were? Why, you know, the, the reference we sometimes get is like the Israelites in the wilderness. If you remember this, the Israelites in the wilderness at one point said, we should just go back to Egypt. We had food there. We could access water easily. And Moses says, did you forget you were slaves? You were being tortured and, and, and overworked, and you want to go back to that? Because you think you would have better access to things? And in a way, Paul is saying the same thing. You really want to go back to slavery? Slavery to your sin and slavery to the law? When in Christ you can be free? We're going to talk about that next week. What does freedom in the gospel really mean? But Paul is saying, why do you want to go back to that? You're, you're trying to go back to this rules and regulations mindset instead of saying, I'm completely accepted in Christ. I'm completely righteous in Christ. And, and no matter what kind of week I have, whether I had a great week, I got into my Bible every day, I prayed, I, I loved my family well, I worked hard, I got things done. Or if you had just a really bad, sad week, right, with disappointment.
disappointment after disappointment, with sin after sin, with anger after anger, you can look back at both of those weeks and say, my righteousness is in Christ. It's not in how good I did this week, and it's not in how bad I did this week. My righteousness is in Jesus. Are you able to say that? Are you able to believe that? That's what the gospel says. Through faith, we are declared righteous. Not in and of ourselves, but through Christ. And so Paul is saying, why, why do you want to make this about you again? Why do you want to try to live in a way that God's opinion of you changes based on your behavior? And don't we all do that? I, I know people who don't come to church for a long period of time because they're riddled with guilt. Something in their life has gone wrong and they don't feel like they're worthy to come to church. Listen, none of us are worthy to come to church. If we had to be worthy to come to church, none of us would be here. I wouldn't be here preaching to you. The gospel says, come ye sinners. Come and hear the good news that your sins are forgiven and that you can be accepted as perfectly righteous before a holy God. Not because you had a good week, but because you're trusting in the righteousness of Christ. And so what did Paul at one point say? What happened to your joy or what happened to your blessedness? What is he asking? He's saying, if you go back to a mindset, specifically a mindset of moralistic, therapeutic deism is the way one person described it, where you know, you got to live a good moral life. And if you live a good moral life, you can feel good about yourself and know that God thinks highly of you and everything's going to be cool, right? Well, if you have that mentality, then if you, if you somehow find out that you're a sinner, right, eventually we're going to find out we're sinners. We're going to see something in our lives. Then you have one of two choices. You have to pretend like you're not that bad to make yourself feel a little more moral. Or you have to just hide in that shame and in that guilt. And both of those situations robs the joy of the gospel from you. It robs the joy of forgiveness. It robs the joy of being righteous in Christ. Why? Because if you're trusting in your own righteousness, why do I need Jesus? What did he save me from? What is he continuing to help me from? And if you know your sins... And, and you're just riddled with guilt and shame, and you don't believe your sins are covered and they're forgiven, well then you don't have joy because you don't know the forgiveness that comes in the gospel. Do you see that? So Paul is saying, if you're going to approach the Christian life with this kind of moralistic mentality, you know, act right, feel right, all that kind of stuff, well then what we're saying is, you're, you're going to lose your joy. And we, I've said this before, the second Thing, the second favorite thing that the devil loves more than uh, keeping people out of the kingdom of God by keeping them lost, keeping them in their sins, keeping them away from faith in Christ, his second favorite thing is a joyless Christian. Who really wants to rob you of your joy is the devil. Because if he can't have your soul, he's going to go after your joy. He doesn't want you to enjoy your salvation. Paul is saying, what happened to your joy? Why are you letting this false teaching in that, that robs you of the good news of the gospel? And so what we want to be able to say, like we said earlier, is that the gospel is not just for the unbeliever's salvation, but also for the believer's sanctification. 
Sanctification, we've described justification before. Justification is a legal declaration that you are righteous in Christ through faith. Sanctification is the act of God making you more holy. It's the work of God making you more holy by His grace, by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so the gospel really helps us with that. So I want to give you kind of a picture of this. What, what we all need to be able to do is put on our gospel glasses every day. I wake up every morning, and I have to put these on. If I don't put them on, I'm going to stub my toe. I'm not going to be able to do my work. You know, all these things. I need my glasses. Um, my dad actually told me when I was three years old, I got, I have a daughter now who has glasses as well. Audrey, she's over there. She's got glasses. And she got glasses same time as me, three years old. So I remember uh, my dad told me a story. When I was three years old, I went to the eye doctor, got my glasses. They said when I came out of the office, I was walking around like this, just mesmerized. And they said I was looking at the ants crawling around on the ground, that I was looking at all these things that I'd never seen in detail before. And my wife, I wasn't there when, they, when she took Audrey, but she said Audrey had a very similar experience. She said she came out of the office, and she was just looking around going, whoa, whoa, like that, right? She was mesmerized by the details of creation, of, of, of nature. And so what I, what I want all of us to be able to do is every morning put on our gospel glasses. And what do I mean by that? The first thing is, when you first came to saving faith in Jesus, uh, David describes it in Psalm 51, the joy of your salvation. When you first came to understand the gospel, didn't you have sort of a similar experience? Like, whoa, is God's grace really that good to forgive a sinner like me? It, can this joy be real? Do I, is what I'm feeling right now, is that possible? Can Jesus really forgive me? And so I don't know about you, but when I first came to really understand the gospel, when I had kind of what I call a grace awakening, it, I was just like, wow, this is really good news. And there's actually been stages throughout my life as a believer where I've had those moments like, wow, God, thank you for your grace. And what I'm saying is we want to have that experience daily. Now, we can't manufacture that. The Spirit really has to do that work in us. But how does He do that? He does it in everyday situations through helping us walk in a process of repentance and faith. Because isn't that what happened when you came to Christ? You repented of your sins and you believed the gospel. You, you saw that all your sins could be forgiven in Christ. And so what we're saying is every day... We want to walk in repentance and faith, acknowledging our sins from the day before, acknowledging that I'm a sinner right now, acknowledging in everyday situations, here's where my sin showed up, so that as we experience forgiveness, and as we see more and more what God's grace has done for our lives, we experience the joy of salvation more. Do you see that? Okay, thank you. So we got the gospel, right? We got our gospel glasses on. And so what are we going to do with that? I want to try to give you another quick example that Paul gives us. And I'm not going to break this down in too much detail. But he, he gives this analogy. He says, I'm going to give you an analogy. And he talks about Hagar and Sarah. If you don't know the story of Abraham, let me try to break it down to you a little bit. Abraham was married to Sarah. Sarah could not have children. 
uh, God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to give you a son. And through this son, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. You're going to have all these offspring. And Abraham was really old. Abraham was old and Sarah was old. And so he waited, thinking God would fulfill his promise. And when God didn't fulfill his promise in the time frame that Abraham would have liked, Sarah actually came and said, listen, take my servant, Hagar. She's a slave, and culture at that time, this was completely acceptable. If you didn't have an heir, then you took one of your slaves and you had a child with them. You had an heir. This was a natural, culturally accepted way to produce offspring. And so Abraham did that. He took Hagar. He had a son, Ishmael, with Hagar. And God came and said, no, that's not what I promised. You took matters into your own hands. This child is not going to be the heir of my promise. He's the son of a slave. I'm going to give you an offspring through your wife, Sarah. And so they did. After time, God gave them offspring, Isaac, which means laughter, because they laughed at God's promise. Okay? And so you got Ishmael and you got Isaac. Now, the Israelites, this is where it gets really important. Try to focus in here for a second. The Israelites were offspring biologically of Isaac. Okay? Hereditary, they were from Isaac. Children of Isaac, children of Abraham, children of the promise. Israel, the Jewish Israelite tribe. And they were very proud of that. They were proud to be Israelites. They were proud to be the, the children of God's promise. You tracking with me? And now Abraham is saying in this passage, if you're going back to traditions and regulations and rules, you are not children of Sarah. You're children of Hagar. This is a big deal. And we don't get this because we're not Israelites, right? You might know a little bit of this conflict because you've got... Um, in, in Israel, you actually have wars constantly going on. Basically, those wars are between the offspring of Ishmael and the offspring of Isaac. The way it breaks down, you've got the Jews versus the Arabs. And the Arabs are the biological offspring of Ishmael. And listen, they hate each other. The Israelites, they think they're the true chosen people. The, the Ishmaelites, they think they're the true chosen people. There's wars throughout all of the centuries. They hate each other. And Abraham's saying, you're not, if you're not trusting in the promise of the gospel, you're not truly children of Abraham. You're not the true Jerusalem. At one point he talks about there's a Jerusalem on earth and there's a Jerusalem in heaven. You're not the true Jerusalem and you are children of a slave woman. You're children of Hagar. You are the Ishmaelites. This, <laughs> I, I don't know how else to help you with this if you're not getting it, but this is a big deal. This is like if I went up to the north, kind of, if I went up to the north and I walked into a pizza place that was owned by, you know, um, third generations Italian, and I said, you're not really Italian, you're Irish. They're going to whoa, man, woo, you know. <laughs> don't go there. You're going to start a war, right? Well, that's what Abraham's doing. He's saying, you're not truly Israelites if you're not trusting in the gospel. You're slaves of, of you're, you're, you're children of a slave woman. And so what do we want to say? We want to say, we want to believe the promise of the gospel. 
We don't want to rely in our own traditions and morals. We want to rely on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Okay, so what does the gospel say? It says your sins can be forgiven because Jesus died for your sins. He went to the cross for you, and he forgives you of all your sins. So that's the first thing, is that this gospel applies to everyday life. Every day we're walking in repentance and faith. A couple of practical examples of what that might look like. First is I had a friend who talked a lot about having grocery cart righteousness. All right? This is, this is where we come up with our own sense of faith self-righteousness. He said he would go to the grocery store, and every time he saw a grocery cart that wasn't returned where the buggies were supposed to go, he would just get this real you know, proud sense of self-righteousness because every single time he always took his grocery cart back. And he knew he was better than those people that didn't take their grocery cart back. And he called it his grocery cart righteousness. All right? Anybody else in here have grocery cart righteousness? Uh, all right, so so we're all so we've all got our things, right? I um I have what's called sometimes uh, yard righteousness, right? My yard, I want my yard to look good, but you know somebody else might you know uh, disagree with that. But I'd like my yard to look good, but sometimes when my yard doesn't look good, I'll at least cut the front yard, right? Because as people drive by, that's all they see, and so I've been known to have what's called a yard mullet, where you cut the front and leave the back, right? Yeah, you with me? Okay, so why do I do that? Because I at least want to look like I've got things together, right? That's yard righteousness. I want people to think well of me. I want people to think I've got my life together. And so what are we saying? We're saying both of those situations, very everyday normal situations, are opportunities to believe the gospel. What's the grocery cart, right? What's the grocery cart opportunity? Well, to first of all say, okay, whether or not a person returns their grocery cart or not, I'm not any better than them. I need Jesus just as much as the person that doesn't take their buggy back. But also, it helps me say, if I do take my buggy back, that I'm not better because of that. And you know what? I'm going to serve the employees of Walmart or wherever you are, and I'm going to serve that person who... You know, is my enemy because they didn't take their cart back. I'm going to serve my enemy by returning their cart for them. Now, I don't know about you, but that's going to take some Holy Spirit power in my life. <laughs> yeah? Are you with me? And the same thing with my yard, right? I just need to be able to say, okay, Lord, I repair. I don't, you know, what people think of me because of my yard is not that big a deal. Okay? So, that's the first thing. How does the, how does the gospel apply to everyday life? And then, how does the gospel apply to ministry? Paul, in these verses, starting in verse 12, he gets into really his ministry. He talks about how um, he came to them. He said, I became as you are. Become as I am because I became as you are. What is he getting at there? He's talking about Paul in other passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He actually said, when you go to the Jews, become as a Jew. When you go to the Gentiles, become as a Gentile. When you go to those who are under the law, become as those who are under the law. Not because we uh, are required to keep the law in that sense. And what he's getting at is like the traditions, the regulations, and all that. But what he was saying was, when I go to a certain culture, I'm going to become like that culture in as, in as many ways as I can without contradicting the truth of the Bible, without compromising the truth of the Bible. 
I'm going to try to make the gospel understandable for people. So Paul did that. He came and depended on where he went and preached the gospel. He preached the gospel in a way that they would understand it. And that's really what we're trying to do here at Christ Community Church. We're trying to be a, a church in our community for our community. I try to speak in a way that people are going to understand. We try to have music culturally that, that makes sense to people from different cultures. We call it multicultural worship because we want to have a, just a, a gospel that reaches the culture we're in. And so Paul is saying, I became as you. Now I want you to become as me, which we're going to talk about in a second, what he means by that. But then, as he came with the gospel to their culture, we also find out that he did not compromise the truth of the gospel for the sake of culture. And so where do we see that? He actually says uh, a little bit farther down. He says, now that I'm speaking the truth to you in verse 16, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? And the, the re, uh, what's realistic about the Christian faith, what Jesus told us, is that at some point, people are going to hate us because we speak the truth of the gospel. And people are going to view Christians as their enemies. And you don't have to look far in the political landscape, in the social media landscape, in the workplace landscape, uh, as, as those things become more and more towards an anti-biblical mindset and culture, at some point in America, yes, in America, Christians are probably going to suffer for their faith. At some point, people are going to lose jobs because they believe the gospel and the Bible. At some point, people aren't going to be able to go to the school they want to because they don't believe the Bible. And you might be thinking, no, I never thought this would happen in America, but I feel like some of us need to hear America is not a Christian nation. Amen. It's not. Statistically, it's not anymore. I don't, I don't really know if we can ever say any nation is a Christian nation, regardless of the majority of people in it. Are you, you with me? And so Jesus has not called us to live in a society where the most Christians live. He hasn't called us to go to the places where you can do anything you want based on your faith. He says, I've called you to be enemies of the world. I've called you to suffer with me for the sake of the kingdom. And Paul is saying, when I first came to you, you received the gospel, you, you received the truth of the scripture, you loved me for that because I told you about a, a, a Jesus who could save you from your sins. But now I'm speaking the same truth to you, and now you think I'm your enemy because I'm telling you you're still a sinner. Right? I'm telling you you still need Jesus. And Paul is saying, what happened? What happened to your joy? What happened that you can no longer hear the truth of Scripture? And he uses this uh, illustration of a woman in child labor. Now, Paul didn't have a wife. And so, you know, his experience being in a room with someone in labor, I'm not really sure where he gets this image, except that I can imagine back then when they didn't have hospital rooms with soundproofing walls and they could kind of 
locked the woman into the room, you know, with the with the staff and everything. Not lock her up, but so, you know. But when they put the woman in the room with all the soundproofing walls, probably you heard women in labor all the time. You know, walking around in a, in a third world country where you've got open doors, open windows everywhere, so that breeze can come through. You probably hear what pain a woman goes through when they're going through labor. And they didn't have, you know, all the anesthesia and the shots and all that kind of stuff back then. But they were going through labor, and it was painful. And Paul is saying, I am in anguish that you would grow in Christ. I am anguishing over you. I'm in labor over wanting you to grow in Christ. And this is where I think he's getting at when he says, become as I am. What does he want to see in these believers' lives? He wants to see them grow to a point where they can be spiritually mature. Where, where he can be sure they're not going to waver from the truth of the gospel anymore. Where he can be sure they're going to trust the word of God for what it is. And so imagine a woman in labor, or imagine a woman that's pregnant, if you know anything about this. Um, the first, you know, several months... They're, they're happy about this pregnancy, unless they have the morning sickness thing, but they're really happy. You know, they call it the glow and all these things. They're really excited. I've got a baby inside me. Well, you know, by month eight, they're like, get this child out of me, right? When is this going to happen? And if they go past their due date, you, you know, you keep your, keep your guard up. Right? Am I? Anybody? You with me? Okay. All right. So um, this is all a good thing. My wife's over here just shaking her head. Don't go there. Right? Uh, so they want that child out of there. And when then they, they go into labor, they have the labor pains, then they really want that child out of there. Right? They're, I mean, it's pain. They want that child to go. And that's what Paul is, I think, getting at is he wishes he could get to a point where he can let these people go. In, in a sense that he knows they're going to be okay. And so let me, let me say this from a pastor's standpoint. Pastors who, who truly love their people don't want people who constantly, got to be careful how I say this, <laughs> who constantly need them all the time. Okay? It doesn't mean we don't want to be a help. It doesn't mean we don't want to pastor you. But we want you to get to a point of maturity where you know where to go to in the Word. You know how to go to God in prayer. You know how to walk in faith and repentance at every point in your life. It doesn't mean we don't need each other. Okay? It, it doesn't mean I don't want to help you however I can. But if you have a pastor who needs you to need them, or like the old... A philosophical song says, I want you to want me, and I need you to need me, and I love you to love me. Did anybody know me? <laughs> Y'all know this one? Come on. I'm supposed to get some laughs out of that one. All right. Uh, thank you. So pastors, if a pastor needs you to need them, and if a pastor wants you to want them, and a pastor gets a sense of fulfillment out of the fact that you love them, um, there's probably something off there with whether or not they believe the gospel. And so let me say, as your pastor, I, I easily fall into that temptation. It feels really good to get compliments about the sermons. It 
feels really good uh, to, to hear praise about the church. It feels really good. I, in many ways, want you to want me as your pastor. I need you to love me. And that's a bad place to be as a pastor. Paul is saying he loves the Galatians. He's passionate about the Galatians. But he also wants them to grow to a point of maturity where they don't need him anymore. You see that? And so what are we saying? We're saying to believe the gospel for ministry means you love the people that you've been called to serve. And this is where it really overlaps for me in ministry, but also for you. Think about what ministry have you been called to? Parents, moms, some of you have been called to the ministry of parenting. And that's a high calling. C.S. Lewis said children are not a distraction from more important work. They are the most important work. And so parents, you have a very high calling in parenting your children. That's your ministry. Do you love your children with a selfless love? What's one way that, that comes out in our sinful hearts is this. When your children are acting out in public, what's typically your thought? Oh, man, this is going to look really bad for me as a parent. It reflects back on you, right? What are you really saying? You're saying, my child's behavior has more to do with me and what people think of me than it is for their good and because I love them. You see that subtle self-righteousness there? And then what about the workplace you've been called to? If you're in the work field, in a school, in a hospital, in a business, wherever you are working, that's your ministry. You love the people there. You serve them, whether it's your employers, your employees, your customers, whoever it is. You've been called to love them with the same love that Paul has, that you would be able to help them and serve them. And then... All of us, I really believe this, all of us as believers have been called to ministry in the local church. Okay? Whether you get paid for it or not. Some of us just are lucky enough to get paid, right? No, I'm just kidding. All right, so ministry in the local church. What do I mean? Well, Paul says this, and Peter says it in other places. God's given you gifts. He's equipped you, and that gift was never intended just to set you up for life and success and to get a paycheck, his gifts were given to you for the sake of his church and kingdom. And so if you're really good at something, specifically if you have a job because you have certain gifts given to you, whether you're really handy, whether you're good with numbers, whether you're good at caring for people, hospitality, whatever it is, your gifts were given to you not just to be successful as a person in the world, but your gifts were given to you for the sake of God's kingdom. And the way that gets expressed first is in the local church. So, let me just ask you as we close. What ministry is God calling you to in the local church? Whether it's vocational or not, some of you might be sitting out there and you don't know it, but God's calling you at some point to vocational ministry. He's going to have you on a church staff someday, maybe. But even if that's not the case, what gifts has God given you to be able to serve his church and his kingdom? So what does this all come back to? It all comes back to whether or not you believe the gospel. 
If you believe you're a sinner saved by grace, and if you believe that God is working on you daily, and, and he's brought you into his kingdom, then by faith, you're going to walk with him in obedience, loving others, and serving the kingdom, and serving the ministry that he's called you to. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace towards us. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would be able to put our gospel glasses on every day, that we'd be able to look through a gospel lens to see more clearly our sins, the grace to forgive us of our sins, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, and Lord, to open our eyes to the needs of the world, to the needs of the church, that we would be able to minister to whatever ministry you have called us to as your people and representatives of your kingdom. Lord, help us and, and help this church to continue to grow as a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.